0: Take as much action as you possibly can on the things that you're looking at doing, you know, and get a good mentor. I don't know. Yeah. Find somebody that's really doing
1: what you want to be and is who you want to be. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line. And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? Well, our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land. You know Patch of Land. They've been on the show. Representatives of their company have been on the show many times. They've been a sponsor of this show many, many times. They're back for more because they love you. And they love working with the best ever listeners. And they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates. And that is that it's the interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best uh, lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and they've got a white paper for you and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to um, glaze over the fact that their lower interest rate quote unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Josh Daniels. How you doing, Josh? Good. Glad to be here. Well, glad to have you on the show as well. A little bit about Josh. He is an investor in Columbus, Montana. He invests in single family homes and duplexes. He's completed eight buy and hold deals. He has flipped four properties and he has wholesaled two properties. So he's got eight units in his portfolio. He's been investing for five years and we're going to learn more about him. So Josh, do you want to give the Best Ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
0: Yeah, I started five years ago, You know, got in by living in a duplex. And so we bought one and and moved in the upstairs of it and then rented out the lower unit. And then over the time, we just slowly have kind of added more units, living in quite a few of them as we go through the process and then slowly just building up a portfolio that our goal is to continue to just have that passive income from
1: real estate. So you've been buying a bunch of properties, living in most of them, renting out while you're living there? And then- Um, or or what?
0: Yeah, sort of. That first one was the only one we lived in that was a multifamily. The rest we've been doing those kind of live in flips type thing where you live in and then of course you get the two of the last five years if you live there and you can sell it tax-free. So that's kind of been our strategy to make good returns. And then we take all that tax-free profit and then buy and hold deals was kind of our goal and strategy of last couple of years.
1: Okay. That makes sense and that is a beautiful way to build a portfolio. What's been a challenge along the way? I guess
0: the challenge is for us is trying to find good deals lately. It's been getting harder and harder. The market's gone up and just really hunting those things down. But I guess the other obvious challenge would be just living in construction zones and living close to your tenants and those kind of issues that you deal with when you're kind of doing that hands-on investing, especially in the early years. So.
1: Do you have a significant other?
0: We do. Yep. My wife and we have two little kids right now. So okay. it makes it a little bit more challenging for those live-in flips, the construction and all that. So,
1: Yeah. How aligned is your family on doing live-in flips? <laughs>
0: Well, we started off doing well. Now, with a couple of little kids, it's getting harder and harder. And I think this next one we're going to buy when we sell the one we're in, that will be up in June. And then, assuming the tax law doesn't change here in a couple of weeks we'll sell that one. And then I think we'll be done live in flipping just because of the young kids and my wife. But she was on board for the first two or three that we've done. And it's really been an important part to have her there and really excited about the process with me as we work and do the stuff. So I'd say you can't do it without having
1: your partner on board with that. You said you've been an investor. Maybe I said it. You've been an investor for the last five years. How did you get the money to buy the first deal? You know, that was a challenge. We were fresh
0: out of college and kind of lived pretty poor during college. We didn't have a ton of money like most college students that I'm sure are out there. But when we graduated, I got a job making about 40000 a year. And man, I thought I struck it rich. I thought I was really making a lot of money. So we lived on about 20000 a year. Me and my wife, we were very frugal with our funding. So we banked the rest of it. We just kind of piled up this little hunk of cash and then jumped into our first duplex which was about 70,000, so we put 10 down and jumped into it, and so that's where we kind of came up with our money. And I'd say that's good advice for anybody that's getting out of college. Just live on less than you make to start with, and it's amazing how much you can save for that first investment.:
1: And were you living in Columbus, Montana at the time?
0: Yep. That's where I got my first job is moving here. Yeah. I moved here from Minnesota.
1: Okay. I picked up the Minnesota accent. Okay. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I didn't know if it was a Montana accent. I, I wasn't uh, sure what a Montana accent sound like. So yeah, I thought it I was be. like, this is very similar to Minnesota. That could be. Yep. <laughs> okay. And I imagine there are some best ever listeners who are thinking, well, it's a lot easier to save money on a 40 K salary in Columbus, Montana than it is in the city I'm living in.
0: Yes. Our rent was like 450 bucks or something. So it's pretty easy to save money and a loan, but we don't make 90 or a hundred thousand like you would in a bigger. Very true.
1: Touche. Yes. Either way. You all have eight units in your portfolio now. And basically let me make sure I'm understanding this. The big picture strategy that has gotten where you're at now is you've lived below your means. You, saved up, then you put it in, live in flips, then you rented those out, sold them, got the tax-free gains and applied that towards other stuff?
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So we didn't put in a lot of money of our own money after that initial purchase because we started using creative leverage and some other things to kind of help us grow our portfolio. So that's pretty much where we're at today is just using home equity lines of credit and lines of credit and stuff to grow our portfolio. So we don't kind of save. I wish we lived on 20000 a year now, but we pretty much spend everything I make from my day job and we just reinvest the profits from our real estate to grow our portfolio.
1: What's your day job?
0: I'm a pastor at a church. I work huh. with kids.
1: Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Okay. So let's talk about these creative strategies. You said HELOC, your own credit. Can you tell us about that stuff?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So our second deal we bought was a mobile home that we moved on to a lot that came next to the duplex. And all in, we paid about 18000 to get that set up and buy it and everything. And we paid it off really quickly. So we used that for our first free and clear property. And we went out and got a line of credit on it for $50,000. And then we used that to do down payments on our next one. So we could kind of do it, without trying to come up with down payment money. So that's kind of how we rolled. How did,
1: you, how did you get the debt finance for the property? In- um,
0: that was just through a local bank. It was an in-house loan. It wasn't some conventional loan that they sell off to the big companies. It was just a little, maybe portfolio loan is a lot more familiar to mm-hmm. people, but they just landed it
1: to us and it was like a three-year
0: balloon loan with 6%
1: interest or something like that they were okay with you borrowing via your line of credit to come up with a down payment on the loan that they were giving you?
0: Yep, they were good with that. And then as long as we were refinancing with them in portfolio loans as well. So eventually we've kind of changed all that now. We have a couple of three different lines of credit that we use to buy properties against our paid for. We have three paid for properties now and and we got lines of credit against them. And we just go ahead and we buy properties cash with that line of credit. And then we just refinance to conventional mortgages now, and that's kind of our way of buying it.
1: So mm. so it works pretty good. Just pay cash and then refi. I'm just trying to follow the breadcrumbs here. When you have a line of credit of, let's say 50,000 on a house that you own free and clear, and then you use that line of credit, let's say you use 25 of that. So now you have 25 that is in use. Yep. But- and you use that for a house that you buy all cash, and then you put a conventional mortgage on, eventually the well's going to run dry, right? Unless you're doing something to liquidate?
0: Yeah, so we're paying all cash to him for that property. And then we refinance the whole amount with a secondary market loan, conventional loan. So we're getting all our money back on that. Okay. And then we just do it again. So we pay it down pay the line of credit back and then we buy it again. And we can do it every about 45 days to two months or something like that if we can find a deal. So this summer we ran about three in a row and then trying to hunt for more deals
1: now. That's the key, finding the deal that has the equity spread that allows you to get an increased value based on what you paid for it. Basically you need something that's worth what, 25% more than what you buy it for? That way you can get your 25% back out?
0: Exactly.
1: Minimum of 25%.
0: The one we did this summer, one of them was 70000 purchase and we rehabbed it, cleaned it all up. And then we got the new appraisal back 45 days later and it came back at one thirty. So there's lots of room in their equity. And then the bank's comfortable loaning us the whole purchase amount from the original purchase, 70000 So that way we get all our money back minus rehab. We have to put in our rehab cash.
1: So the system is that you pay off one house mm-hmm. and then you put a line of credit against that house. Yep. And then you go find another deal that is worth at least 25% more than what you're paying for it. Exactly. You pay all cash and then... After a certain period of time, a month, two months, whatever, then you put a traditional mortgage on it with 25% down, which then allows you to get back the money that you put into it initially, you cash flow on the second house, and now you've got the original money back you can do it again.
0: Nailed it. Yeah, that's what we do. You said it much better though. Good.
1: Oh, no, I, I'm just listening. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm just repeating what I'm hearing. That's a great strategy. So then really the key is finding those deals. Yep, And initially getting that line of credit from the institution. So what interest rate do you have? And not that it matters as much because it's more short-term money, but I'm just curious.
0: Our primary one we use is 5% with our company. That's interest only with our bank. And then we just got a $50,000 unsecured line of credit against a property that's at 7%. And
1: this is from the same portfolio lender? Yep. The same bank we use here in town. So are they, They're in Columbus, Montana? Yep, exactly. Okay. Which one are they? What are they called? This is First
0: Interstate Bank. In first Interstate and Bank. And it's pretty small regional place. How'd you get in touch with them initially? Goodness, there's only four banks in our town. so <laughs> <laughs> I went to every single one of them and asked, hey, what can you give me? What can you do? How can we work this out? And I worked with two of the other banks in town here, but
1: this First Interstate seems to be the best for us. Very cool. and that makes sense with the four options only because I searched for Columbus Montana before we started talking and on Google Maps the only picture so far that pops up is a log cabin.
0: Yes, <laughs> there's not much here. We are a small town <laughs>
1: just west of Billings for yep. any best ever listeners looking for a frame I know of where that is. Yeah. yeah. All right, so you've got this approach that you're taking. Now you're in a small town. Yep. How are you finding deals and what is your approach to finding deals? You know, that's the trick in a small town. Normally, it seems like
0: in the bigger markets, at least what I hear from people online and stuff is they're kind of niching out on a way to find deals. Maybe it's all foreclosures or maybe they're focusing just on direct mail. In a small town, we really have to do just about anything possible to find deals. You're looking at every possible option. So we do some direct mail. We do a lot of just cold calling, driving the streets, looking for ugly houses. A lot of MLS stuff. We have a real good realtor we work with, and they really help us find some good deals. We've had a lot of really good pocket listings from them. Craigslist, we found a deal this summer on Craigslist. So whatever we can do to find deals, we scour it pretty hard.
1: What has resulted in closings for you?
0: What has resulted in closing for us? Probably the most would be the MLS and I don't know. Yeah, probably about half of our properties on the MLS system. Okay. What about the other half? I want to say two on Craigslist, one by word of mouth this summer too. We just had a neighbor come by. A couple of them, two of them were from just cold calling, looking down the street and seeing an ugly house and calling them up. And they said, oh, sure. I want to sell one. Go that way. So that kind of works too. A little,
1: little mix of everything. When you call the number, well, first off, how do you get the number? If you're driving by, you see an ugly house, what's your approach? Can you walk us through that? Yep. So find it on Montana Cadastral as a
0: website. With basically, all the everything that's available at the courthouse is online. So you just get online, look up the map, and then find the property. And then it shows who owns it and all the tax information. And then from there, I usually just do some kind of Google search of that person's name. Or a lot of times, we're connecting with these people on Facebook. So we've had a lot of leads this year through Facebook. Only one of them's turned out, but that's how we connect. I just look them up and try to find them. Thankfully, Montana is a really small place. And so people (laughs) know each other and usually you're friends with someone that they're friends with or something. So Mm. it works out good in a small town.
1: I'm going to guess that you don't get a lot of -of out-of-state landlords. Not many, although I'm
0: kind of surprised how many absentee owners are in our small town. So people from California or people that inherited something, I don't know where these people are, but it's kind of surprising how many absentee owners are in this area.
1: All right. You found them on Facebook. What is your approach then? What do you do? Usually I just message them if they're
0: Facebook leads. If I can't find their phone number, my preference is to find the phone number, but I just message them and say, Hey, are you interested in selling the house? Usually if they get back to me and say, yeah, you know, then we just set up a time either to see it. I ask them some basic information on and try to feel out their motivation. As you know, motivation is the main thing. Trying to find somebody that's truly motivated and not just kind of, oh sure, I'll sell it for the top dollar or whatever. So feeling that out and then just set up a time to go check out the house and walk through it and
1: then make an offer. Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice ever. Man, that's some good one.
0: I'd say just take as much action as you possibly can on the things that you're looking at doing, you know, and get a good mentor. I don't know. Yeah, find somebody that's really doing what you want to be and is who you want to be. Who taught you
1: the business? You said you find a good mentor. And by the way, sorry if I talked over you, it cut out, so I thought you were were done talking. So I didn't mean to talk over you if I did.
0: No, I think it did cut out too on my end. So I didn't hear anything. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So
1: we were both flying blind. Something was going weird. Okay. You you mentioned the mentor thing. Who taught you the business?
0: I kind of wish I would have got some more mentors. But the first guy that really got me into it was my landlord. When we first moved here at $450 a month, we were renting from him. And he had this apartment complex and we were getting ready to move. And he started really just telling us, hey, you guys should really buy a multifamily to move into. And that's really what kind of piqued our interest in going into real estate. And he's given us tips throughout the years
1: that have just been very valuable. Finding deals off the market and
0: all that stuff came from him.
1: What's a specific tip that you recall that helped you out? Probably
0: finding those off-market deals and just driving the streets looking for ugly houses. Those really have been our best deals have come from that.
1: You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan and conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to... Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast, where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at the What's the best ever book you've read?
0: The best ever book I've read. I man, I probably like The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley.
1: Okay. I don't think I've come across that one.
0: Yeah, really good. Just understanding wealthy people and how they live in our culture.
1: Best ever deal you've done. Can't be the first, can't be the last. Oh man.
0: Let's go with my second, probably that mobile home we bought, ten grand purchase, all in for fifteen, and it rents for eight hundred dollars a month, and should sell for eighty to ninety thousand today.
1: So, really good deal. That's incredible. How are you able to purchase it for all in fifteen, and it would sell for eighty?
0: Well, I guess that's a little misleading because the lot we had for free, we just had to develop it and add in some stuff. Because the duplex came with a really large lot, so we moved a mobile home next door to it. So
1: a little misleading there. Will you elaborate on that? Will you tell me the structure of that one? I just want to make sure I understand.
0: Yeah, the duplex we bought came with uh, two city lots, one that the duplex sat on, the other one was empty. And after figuring that out and kind of what we could do with it, they said it, it was zoned for a manufactured home, had to be certain age, kind of a newer one, and double wide pitch roof, all that kind of stuff. So then we found one about four hours away in kind of a much cheaper area. And the nice thing about mobile homes is they're mobile. So we moved it in and just that alone brought in a ton of value. And we just got really high rental demand kind of in our small town because we have a huge mine just outside of us here that creates a crazy demand here. So we moved the mobile home in and rented it out and it's been a good deal.
1: Okay. And how much was the duplex with the land? The duplex with the
0: land was 70000 and that rents for $1,000 a month that thing. So all together on that package, after we put everything in, we had just under a hundred thousand all into it and it rents for $1,800 a month. Wow. Yeah. Good deal.
1: Yeah. Great deal. The moving a mobile home next to a duplex that you just bought. Did you have any reservations about not being able to command the highest rent because you're putting the mobile home next to it?
0: No, because that neighborhood had probably three mobile homes in it. There was one behind it. So that area was kind of a lower class area. That makes sense. So, What's a mistake you've made on a deal? Mistake I made on a deal? Man, we didn't rehab our first flip good enough. We bought it and we just kind of, I don't know, we didn't do a good job with the fix up. And I didn't do things right the way we should have. And it just cost us money in the end. It took us 11 months to sell that. And that whole time, just because of the issues that people kept finding in inspection periods. They would either drop out of contract or just walk away or whatever. And so it just took
1: us a while to get there. What's the best ever way you like to give back to the community? I think
0: just doing my vocation that I'm here at. I'm not gonna make a ton of money ever in this vocation, but it's just a cool thing to be able to give back to the community by serving them
1: and serving the youth in our community. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you?
0: Probably email me if you want to. That'd be the best if you got that in the show notes. Love to connect with people and help anybody
1: I can. All right, and it's Cec at gmail.com, right? That'd be me, man. Perfect. Well, Josh, thank you for sharing your approach and how you have gotten to where you're at. I love the strategy. You buy a house, do what you need to do to own it free and clear, then get a line of credit on that property, buy a property with at least 25% equity in it, then get a loan on that second property to cash out your 25%, and then you're whole again on the line of credit and you just keep doing it again. Absolutely. Well, thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day. We'll talk to you soon. See you later, man. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at thereifoundation.libson.com.